So let's start with the first question. Let's do some good questions. The first one's a crazy interesting question because I've never thought about it before. Adam wants to know, is sweating in the same room as your gear? Uh, will it ruin the gear? My home gym doubles as uh, my gear uh, amp set space. Uh, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. No. because Just because places with high humidity yeah. doesn't affect the gear, so... Yes. Uh, when I was hanging out with Thor in Tennessee, he had to have de dehumidifiers in his rooms. Um, so I would say that, you know, obviously too much humidity is not good. Too little humidity is not good. Um, the acidity, 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 thank you. acidity in your sweat. And I can't imagine that's a lot of that's in the air. Um, it would be like a transfer if you're playing a lot of gigs, you were sweating a lot. It would transfer from your hand. Yeah. I'm going to say no, um, especially since this. One of my pieces of advice for people here in dry climates like where I live, a lot of times they ask about humidifying their guitars, and one of the things I recommend is a lot of the homes where I live, the and it's real common now in newer homes, that the bathroom doesn't have, in the master bedroom, does not have a door. It's like a cutout, and, you you know, so your, your, your water closet has a door, but the bathtub, the, the main bathroom does not have a door, from the master bedroom. So what I tell people is leave your gear in your bedroom when you take showers in the morning and that'll help humidify your gear or you know get that moisture content up um, instead of buying a humidifier. So I'm gonna say Adam, no, you're good. You know, if you're that concerned about it, it's not gonna hit it's not gonna hurt any of the actual amps or pedals and stuff. If you're worried about guitars like strings corroding stuff, I'd throw a blanket over them while you're working out. Maybe that'll help. Um, I can't imagine it will hurt doing that and I can't imagine you're gonna have any issues other than maybe the, the moisture in the air hurting strings, but that's just strings. Um, and I have a video that is actually almost in post-production right now about strings that'll fix that. Okay. Um, next question. What do we got? Okay, so Julian's got a question. Uh, I plugged my Marshall 110 volt into a 220 volt and it started smoking. Is it toast? Ooh, uh, it's, gonna, it's bad. Um, it's not good. It's not good. Um, the, the the whether it's toast or not is really decided about where it decided to burn up, and you won't know until you take it to an, a, an amp tech. So you're going to have to take it to a tech. You can you can probably go on a forum, take some pictures inside. Once you unplugged it, let it cool down. You know, take some pictures inside to see what burnt up. Obviously, uh, it smoked something. Burn up. The, the trick is is where it burn up. So there's some fuses to protect it. Hopefully some of those uh, blew before all that voltage got through the whole amp. But it's uh, it's really really not good. Um, so that kind of sucks. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. You're definitely going to have to take an amp tech. The only thing I can tell you is don't mess with it. At this point, it really needs to go to a tech. Now the question is uh, the value of the amp. You said Marshall, but I don't know if it's inexpensive or expensive Marshall. If it's inexpensive, you know, unfortunately, it might not be worth fixing. Um, so if you give us more information, maybe we'll help you on that. Uh, Gregory Stone, great question. What does quarterson mean? Love that, right? Um, quarterson is the best way to because it's hard to explain without visual aids. But I'll I'll do my best to explain it like this. Um, picture a tree, a log. Okay, so you know if you cut a tree and you're looking at the log, you're looking at circular rings, right? Quarter mm -hmm. um, saw would mean you would cut that log into quarters like a pizza. So you imagine the you know you're coming at the angle of the grain correctly. 
flat sawn means you're coming at it rows. So if you imagine that circle, imagine if you cut in quarters, you'll get less wood blanks than you would if you went in rows and got flat sawn cuts. Um, so a lot of guitar necks uh, have quarter sawn necks. And the, the logic being that cutting that in, the, in that pattern, in that grain pattern, makes for a stronger neck. Um, you know, I've never done any personal research to know if that's even true. Uh, you know, I've never, uh, and I've never seen where one neck is better than the other. But all of the all of the uh, guitar luthiers that I trust really believe that Quartzon is a is a better product. Um, I do have both Quartzon and Flatson necks in my collection. None of my guitars have ever neck twisted. Uh, but that being said, I don't know if I've ever seen a Quartzon neck twisted. I might I've seen a lot of Flatson necks twisted. Yeah, if you go online, you can find some animations that actually show you how they do the chorus yep. on, and it's it's really interesting to see yeah, and how they and, figured that out. And personally, for me, quarter on I think is better than flats on. I definitely think uh, doing multiple uh, uh, what do you call it uh, multi laminate necks that's definitely the best. Um, there's a reason why even the high end base companies do a multi laminate neck. That's where they cut uh, different types of wood or the same board. They'll cut it and flip the directions of the wood and and make it even stronger. So so that's something I I definitely even like more than that. Um, oh, Justin maybe says, hey, did you guys see? Uh, Micah's Trollburn video. I did. I loved it. Uh, I, in fact, I was just asking you. You said you didn't see it, yeah, right? Yeah, I didn't see it, no. You have to watch it. You know what it was? It was just It was just so nice to see how what a positive attitude somebody could have um, about getting a troll. You know what I mean? Uh, somebody who's... And it was a true troll. It was, just, it was mm. you know, to me, the worst troll comments aren't the ones that are mean or, or rude or inappropriate. The ones, they're just off topic. It's You didn't even pick a video for, you know... Um, you know, because you know why they confuse me. I don't know if they're lost. Sometimes I worry about them. Like maybe like a you know an elderly person that doesn't know where they are in the mall. Um, <laughs> they make a comment on a video, and I go that comment doesn't even doesn't fit the the scheme of the video. Yeah, it's like so I don't know where where are you, are you lost. <laughs> like sometimes I wonder like did they flip screens and start typing and just didn't realize they're in the wrong like, like they're on the wrong video. And so <laughs> yeah, so that was awesome. So uh, let's see. And Nathan uh, says, "Hey Phil, what are the most, what are you most excited to see, and who are you looking forward to talking to at GitCon? Tell Ralph I miss him making fun of me. Oh yeah, you were kind of mean to him a lot. No more than you. This is probably true. <laughs> He's young; he could take it. Yeah. Um, the um, hey Nate, just to let you know, the last guy we did that to uh, became a Marine. So yes, yeah, is true. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that." The, uh, um, okay, so uh, to answer the question, what am I excited to see? What gear am I excited, right? What, and who am I looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to meet Pete Thorne. I'm a big Pete Thorne fan, so I'm very excited to meet uh, Pete Thorne and, uh, and talk to him. Uh, gear, um, believe it or not, I'm kind of excited about Marshall. I'm most excited about Marshall that they're going to be there, mostly because I've, I've never had an interaction with Marshall where I felt like I could, you know, understand where they are, you know, mentally now. And I really, they're a company, they're one of the companies that I actually fear for Marshall. I, I, and I, I really do. I, I like Marshall. I think uh, if, you, if, you, if you're into gear, Marshall is just a brand that's iconic to you. But unlike Fender and Gibson, who I think are still in play and still doing okay, regardless of what people think, I mean, Fender and Gibson are still making products. Marshall seems to be constantly losing ground every year. Yes. And, and, you know, and, the and there's a lot of head scratching from the community because they see the products. 
and they don't understand where this product is coming from and, and who's it supposed to be for. Yes. Where is it going? And I've had not one, but at least two amp companies tell me once, smaller amp companies tell me that if Marshall would get back in the game and focus on where the market's been going with amps, um, they would just annihilate everybody. You know, and so they literally told me they live in a world where because Marshall is not doing, you know, um, and and so I'm curious about that. And if you guys know it, so I don't, I'm not trying to be vague. Um, it's because we've talked about it. You know, there's a lot of products out there that are really great, but if Marshall had a product in that category, they would be a contender. You know, yes, yes, absolutely. So, so let's see. I mean, Marshall is a great company. Yeah, I mean, there's a crazy history with Marshall amps. Yes, and sometimes now when you go on, you're looking at them, you're like, man, yeah. why? Like, who thought this was a good idea? Well, you know what it is. I I don't I don't understand when a when there's 50 brands copying a brand. Yeah, and yet that brand isn't. Yeah, they make the left turn and they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of kind of out there. So. uh Let's see. Uh, okay, next question. Um, uh, Alberto says, hey, any more videos coming on the uh, clons? Yeah, we'll do the live video on the clons. That's what I, I talked about. You guys uh, gave me that great suggestion um, you know, to do a video, which I did, and then we'll do a live video talking about the clons. Uh, I'll probably make that announcement. It'll be after GetCon because I want to put out like three, four weeks ahead of time just let everybody know because it will literally be so we can just check it out and... and uh, um, you know, Lawrence got a comment. He's chiming in. He says, Marshall doesn't seem to, to appear to listen to their customers. Um, I'm going to agree. Yeah, I, that's how I feel, too. I feel like um, I feel like the... And I always point this out. I don't want to beat a dead horse with this, but my biggest point has been when they made those one-watt little Marshall amplifiers that sold out. I mean, they sold one-watt amps for $800, and they sold out, proving that there's a market that wants legitimately made uh, good quality amplifiers that, for lower bedroom volumes. Yes. To me, it was like perfect example to come back to that and say, okay, what did we do right there? What do we, you know, what, what could we improve on and come back to it? And instead, they, they just... We get like the weird uh, Mesa Boogie yeah, clone yeah, things. It's and, just, yeah. So, yeah. So, there you go. Um, so, like I said, I'm, ex- I'm eager to talk to them and, and and not so much to give them my opinions. The opposite. I want them to explain to me where, you know, hopefully I'll yeah. I'll understand them better, um, you know. Uh, Douglas Bell says, uh, what are some everyday items I can buy at my local music store that are high margin? I'd like to support them uh, without buying expensive gear. Strings. Oh. <laughs> Strings. Yeah. You know what? That's a, it's a, you know, that's an interesting tidbit. Uh it's a it's a very interesting question. Uh, so I'm going to tell you guys. Um, hopefully you'll use this uh, information for good, not evil. Because uh, <laughs> uh, there are some tricks to this. So let me tell you where, where stores, doesn't matter if they're small stores or big stores, make money. Um, the biggest margin products for any store is going to be uh, clip-on tuners. Those are high margin products. Um, generally speaking... A retailer would not expect to pay more than six, seven dollars for a clip-on tuner that sells for twenty dollars, yeah. um, and that's on the high end. Usually, it's buy four get one free boxes, which can get it down to even five and a half bucks. Um, so again, five and a half bucks get you twenty. Um, guitar stands are also very high-end margin. Um, most even you know a guitar stands usually you're buying those at five, six bucks and you're flipping them for ten to fifteen dollars. So double, triple your money. Um, another margin. Uh, Guitar straps. Guitar straps are tricky. 
Some have really good margins, double, triple the margin. Some have little margin. Um, generally speaking, the expensive uh, levy straps mm-hmm. uh, will have at the if they're at retail, if they're if their retailers selling them for full mark retail, they'll double their money. But it's hard to you know when a when you're buying a, a really nice leather strap for fifty dollars dealer cost, you can't sell it for hundred dollars. So they sell it for like sixty five, seventy dollars. So. Um, those are good margins. Um, strings, of course. Uh, picks generally are double mark, so you pay two and a half, you sell them for five, kind of thing. Um, those margins keep shrinking on the small retailers, as you can imagine. It's hard to justify to the consumer, you know, uh, six bucks for a pack of picks if you can buy them on Amazon for three fifty to four fifty. Um, but those are are definitely where it, it's at. All the accessories, uh, guitar cables. Guitar cables are probably the highest marked up uh, product there is. Uh, to this day. Um, so uh, usually, if, even Guitar Center, uh, an online company selling guitar cables for 25 bucks, those cables come in at about $5, $7 a cable. Yeah, but it's so, always nice if you go in a store and, and you occupy the guy's time for a little bit, you know, a little bit, ask him questions, he's helpful. Then you buy a pack of strings, it's something you're going to need anyways. Yeah, so, yeah. That's, it, it you know, does. Picks, it you're always losing picks, so it's always nice to know, yeah. especially if they do you a solid. Yep. No. All the accessories are going to have good margin, so um, that's why everyone wants to add those on. And the reason why, especially mom and pop shops, uh, are on that world. Guitar Center has a different business model. They will push sometimes the accessory prices down um, in hopes that you come to get accessories more often, and then while there, make other purchases like yeah. see a guitar. So they're using a lot of those accessories as not high margins. Where the mom and pops will will they're on the opposite spectrum. They're using those to actually pay the electric bill and stuff. So yeah, just stick with accessories if you're trying to help the mom and pop shops. Um, uh, next question: Cheddar Kung Pao says HSS or SSS for Sir Classic. Also, Nitro versus Polyfinish, Surf Green versus Fiesta Red. Man, Cheddar Kung Pao, get out of my head, because Surf Green Nitro, uh, Humbucker Single Single. Really? That's what I'm gonna go with. Yeah. So I uh, I look at the uh, the Sir Classic uh, guitar once a week. I go on <laughs> Reverb and look and look how much they weigh and how much they are. Um, I mostly look at the Fiesta Red. I have a thing about the Fiesta Red. That's why I bought that red, uh, this red guitar here. You guys can't uh, see? You can't. <laughs> no, I think they can see it because you're not. we're not looking at our screen. See? So, yeah. Oh, no, you couldn't yeah. see it. Yeah. <laughs> this one. That's why I bought the Rosewood Neck Strat is because I was trying to curve the, the desire to buy a Sir Fiesta Red uh, guitar. So for me, if it was me, Cheddar, I would definitely go Fiesta Red with the HSS. Um, it, just because I cannot, for life of me, get a really good tone out of a, a bridge single coil pickup. In fact, um, that, that you know, it's just they're always too bright and glassy for my ears. So, uh, so HSS uh, Fiesta Red for me um, in Nitro versus Poly Finish. I could go either way. I'd be fine either way. So, um, no, no preference there. I like both for different reasons. <coughs> what was yours again? Surf Green Nitro HSS. Sweet. There you go. Hope that helps. If, if you end up getting always, it, let me know. Always an option for me. It's always going to be Surf Green if I can. Yeah. Um, so Justin's got a question. Justin says, I went through five snarks before I bought a clip-on polytune. What's your go-to headstock tuner? Snark. Um, y- yeah, you, you, your snarks, right? Yeah. I have the Korg. I've had, I've gone through a couple different Korgs. I have, um, I have all of them. Yeah, you do. 
Yeah, I have Korgs. I have, uh, this is the Diodario one. I have a lot of Snarks. Um, snarks on your Les Paul. And, uh, and uh, but right now I'm, I'm biased. So I'm gonna take myself out of the question. Here's why. The, uh, since I've been doing the YouTube channel, I've had a couple companies just really be nice to me, you know, uh, uh, for legitimate reasons. I mean, most, you know, companies, you know, that are nice to you for having a channel, they're trying to, they're just trying to get you to do an infomercial or something. Um, and sometimes when I talk to them and they're not, you know, I tell them I'm not interested in doing that, you know. Um, but Dane Electro has been really nice to me. They were the only company, I don't want to say only, they were the first company to ever contact me, say nothing other than, can we send you something? And they just sent me something. Um, they just wanted my address. They didn't want to talk about what I wanted to say or think. And so, long story short, there was nice enough to me that I feel guilty about using other tuners. So I bought a box of Snarks a couple weeks ago. Um, so I have a Snarks for all my... T I like the Snark. It's a good tuner. And I wanted to help Dane Electro since they were really nice to me. Um, if you guys saw on Instagram, I, I had the new uh, uh, Pride of Texas pedal. They just sent that to me. I mean, no joke. They just sent me an email and said, Hey, something's in the mail for you tomorrow. Enjoy it. And it just shows up. And, and I don't know if you guys know, I mean, when they do that, they, they don't know if I'm going to review it or talk about it, if I'm just going to keep it. Uh, and so there's no strings attached. So a really cool company to, to do that. Um, most companies want to make sure that you're going to say something nice. huh? Going after, someone else asked earlier, what do you think of the Product Texas pedal? Yeah, I, I, I love. Okay, so so let me talk about it real fast. It's metal. Um, it may look it looks plastic, but it's metal. Um, it's built really well. It sounds really really good. I'm doing a full review. I started doing it today. Um, I'm very excited about it. I, I like I said I didn't know anything about it. it. Just showed up. So I looked it up after I checked it out. It's seventy nine bucks. I thought that was very reasonable. Yeah. Um, I was. We were playing with it for an hour today, right? <laughs> yeah, we were. It's, it's awesome. Um, it, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 unique. It's not a tube screamer. It's not a clon clone. It's not something I've experienced before. It's it's a definitely a boost driver, but it's got a lot of volume, not gain, just a lot of volume. The volume knob is almost scary how much it pushes the amp. I was showing him today on the clean channel. Yeah, yeah, it feels like you're gonna blow your speakers if you're not careful with it, but. It, but it has such great uses for it. So, so there you go. Uh, hope that that helps a lot. Um, let's see. Okay, next question is... All right. Okay, so um, I'm trying to say the name. I can't say it. Artie? Let's say Artie Fresh. I just bought a Kona electric guitar. Have you either of you guys ever heard and or have an opinion on them. Kona's the brand? Never heard of it. Go, 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 Google Let's that. Look it up. He'll Google it while we we'll come back to that. Um, next. Okay, Kyle says, I just bought my first tube amp, a DSL 40. Sounds kind of harsh. Do you think it's worth upgrading to the cream back or just try and break in the this, this stock speaker? First, definitely break in that stock speaker. I feel like every amplifier when I first get it is harsh. It's always the speaker. Um, and I did a video where I talk about how I break in a speaker, so Kyle, check that out. But more importantly, it's how I figured out to break in speakers I think is important. Sometimes we would pull out amps out to display in the store, and we didn't like them. And over time, weeks, months, days, whatever, 
you go back in the amp standard, it, you're like, you know, I don't remember it sounding this good. And after a while, we didn't know, I never thought about it until one day it happened. Somebody was playing an amplifier. I don't even remember the amplifier. I just remember a customer was playing the amplifier and they're like, okay, I'll take it, but I want one new in box. And we're like, okay, so we got a new box. They left and they came back about an hour or two later and they're like, you know, this doesn't sound right. So we plugged it in. I thought maybe it was defective. It was, mm -hmm. and I'm like, no, it sounds fine. So we A, B it. And the other one sounds so much nicer, smoother, less harsh. And we're like, I, so we thought it was just, so we actually got another one out of the box and it was harsh. So we had them take the original. So I put one of the ones we got out of the harsh because there's nothing wrong with it, put it on display. Same thing over time, it softened yeah. up. It's so it's just, it's just some, sometimes amps just need to work in. That's the first thing I would recommend um, before I would change out the speaker. Um, yeah, I remember the guys used to talk about different ways that would break in uh, the amps and break in the speakers. So that's the Kona. The Kona. Okay, so I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Um, oh, how do I? How, what's the price point on it? Well, that was two nineteen ninety five. Oh, okay. So it's uh, so cool. It's an import guitar. Yeah. I don't know much about them. Sounds cool. So it's a it's a Strat style guitar for two hundred nineteen dollars. We don't know if that's one you got, but yeah. we're gonna guess it is. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, seems cool. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine it's you know. I can't um, imagine it being bad. You know, uh, uh, I talked about the Nam show, the summer Nam show that I hung out and talked to Trev Wilkinson, Wilkinson Bridges and stuff, and he said something to me that he said, uh, he said, remember, all strats are just a alder body with a maple neck screwed to it. He goes, not bolted, <laughs> screw wood screwed into it. He goes, it's as simple as that, <laughs> which. I knew that we all know that, but it was funny to watch when he said it. Like it just really kind of made you realize sometimes, like, yeah, what it really is. What it really is. It's a maple piece of maple wood screwed to a piece of alder <laughs> with some strings on it. With some strings on it. Um, we backtrack says my question is. <laughs> nah, no question. Just wanted to say thanks for a great channel. Okay, well you're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and. Uh, Let's see. Next question. Um, oh, I, oh, Virtue saying, Phil, you ever built a parts caster uh, off guitar fetish? I have built. I, I, I kind of, I can't only exaggerate this, but I don't know the answer. I'm going to say a hundred parts casters for customers, maybe more. I can tell you right now, I, I have done at least four or five dozen guitars where people brought me parts, put it on a count on the counter and said, okay. And then go just put it together for me. Um, for everything from Warmoth stuff to, to low end stuff to fetish. And so, yeah, I've the stuff the guys had built themselves. Yep. And, and what I've learned from all that, uh, not so much to put it together that that's, but what I learned from it was, um, stick to, guitars like uh, brands like guitar fetish and fender squire brands where the parts are interchangeable um a lot of the frustration i had ever putting stuff together is when nothing lines up um in fact pick guards are a huge huge deal i i i highly 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 warn against buying the wrong pick guard People think that pickguard material is what matters what really matters is the placement of where the cuts are one of my all-time pet peeves about pickguards, especially Strat-style pickguards, is that the bridge, whether it be single or humbucker, is cut into the wrong spot and moved about a quarter of an inch to an eighth of an inch towards the bridge. Um, this is real common. And so what happens is that pushes the pickup an eighth of an inch, quarter inch, 
towards the treble side of the uh, more treble side of string tone tone by the bridge. So um, it's really frustrating because the cutouts in most fenders, whether they're squires or fenders, is so big that that pushback you don't notice it when you put it into the body because the pickup you know the pickup still has enough room to go into yeah. the body. The the frustrating again is the tone. Um, it's really bright and shrill. It's not in a really nice pleasing place. So make sure when you buy aftermarket pickguards that they are in they are in the right spots. So there you go. Especially on the humbuckers. There you go, Lawrence, right there. Yeah. What did Lawrence say? Oh, uh, drum. Yeah, for breaking in speakers, he said it's drum machine for 12 hours into an amp, well broken in. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I. I I'm gonna agree with, with Lawrence. Absolutely <laughs> works perfectly. Yeah. In fact. Um, uh, the, the thing I, I, I've asked everybody that I think that knows about speakers, um, and, uh, and the, basically what I got from is just keep the speaker moving for a few hours. That's, that's all it's got to do. The speaker so, doesn't move. Hold on. Yep. So Maddie asked, hey, Ralph, have you ever considered an Orville as an alternative to Gibson if you're still after an SG? No, because it's in my head. I need a Gibson SG. Yeah. It's in my head. It's been in my head for years. So even when we were a Gibson dealer, yeah. every time we got Gibsons in, I would go through all the SGs trying to find one that I that I liked that I that I wanted. Yeah. Again, and the only reason why is I'm an Angus Young fan. That's the only reason why I want an SG. Yeah. And it's got to be red. It's got to be red. Um, Jonathan says, "Will Soldano ever become big?" You know, I I thought the Jet City thing was gonna was going to do it for him because I think that was, you know, those are essentially gateway amps. Those amps get everybody the amp, so they get it in their hands, and then they could see the, whoa, I like the quality. Maybe I should upgrade to a Saldano. And then he has an amazing deal where I think you can get any Jet City amp and send it to him, and then they'll mod it up and make it even better. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I sadly enough, I think Saldano has settled into the idea, which is not a bad thing, into the idea that he makes high-end expensive amps, you know, right? And if you want one, they'll make one. Um, but he's done everything right. He's got he's got fame. He's got notoriety. He's got a cool-looking amp. He's got a great sound. I mean, it's been used on some amazing albums. Um, you know, it's a, Saldano is amps are a who's who of of great players have played them from, you know, from Queensryche to Eddie Van Halen to George Lynch. I mean, you know, there's just, there's just no end to it. Um, so, so Chris asks, any experience with Bulgara amps, pros and cons? Y yes. Um, a lot of people like them. Uh, I've, uh, and I've had no, nothing about them sonically or uh, physically with the sound has bugged me. Um, I just hear, so many people have also told me that they break. So it's always been a concern. But every time I make that comment, I have 10 other people tell me, I'm like, mine's never broke. Yeah. So so that's that's all. Um, so that's what it is. They're, they're inexpensive. Um, they're good. They're not great. You know, I don't think they're meant to be great. I think they're meant to be uh, good. They're, they're essentially, they're, they're like what PV used to be. They're a good product for the money kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so... The only thing, you know what, and that's probably where it's in my head. The reason why I got, you know, the breaking thing is, I think it's because I hang out with a lot of amp techs, and as soon as they break, they got to throw them away. They're just not worth fixing. You know, you can't buy an amp for $300, $250, and then want to pay $200 to fix it. So, so there you go. Unless you really like that amp. Yeah, of course. So, there you go. 
probably need to try some more Bajera amps. Probably need to. So, I've said in the past when that came up that they knock off a lot of the inexpensive brands, and I thought that was kind of weird. I think I I wish uh, Bajera would knock off. If they're gonna knock off something, they should mm -hmm. knock off Bogner and <laughs> Saldana. Knock off the you know. Yeah. I think the idea is for me. Amp company, if you're gonna make a, a clone of somebody, make a clone of something I I can't afford. Yeah, so I would be. I would. I can tell you right now, if they made if if Bujera made a six or five hundred dollar version of a three thousand thousand dollar amp or twenty five hundred dollar amp, I would definitely be interested in checking that out. I'm not gonna lie. Speak. I'd be curious. So, um, okay. Let's see. Okay, next question is, there's a lot of guys talking about cool guitars. Somebody's saying, oh, uh, Randon's saying Matthew, or Henning did a review of the Bajera, or would you guys talk about something else? See, that's what happens when I, when I lose track of where we are. Okay, next next question. Uh, replacement pickup for a Gibson TB bass bucker. Gibson kind of muddy. Um, that's Ed Bailey. So, for a Gibson TB bass bucker, you know, I don't know. Um, it's almost, it's so hard to suggest pickups. So, Ed, you know what? Everybody throw in some comments what you got. Let's see if you can help Ed out. Lawrence is like he, he's like I love that Ralph said Bugera and Phil come says Bugera. Come on, man! This is yeah. Arizona Public School Education. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah I'm probably saying it wrong. You're probably saying it right. Who I'm knows? Probably saying it wrong too. You know, um, part of my problem when I do these products, you know, and announce, you know, mm -hmm. I say them like uh, Piazzo, Piazzo. You know, that's from reps of okay. companies. Yeah, the reps of companies would tell me the the name. You know, I know for a fact I've been at the Behringer booth and. The Behringer guys said it Bujera, and then later they said Bugera, mm -hmm. and then they say Bujera, and they I do it. the The rep for for uh, for Parker used to say Pizo, Pizio, Piazzo. He would say it different every time, and then he did it because he said everybody says it so many. He goes to wherever you are in the country, they people say it different. differently. So he just started saying random each time, and so they, it's so funny. Uh, Okay. Hey, Phil, what is your take on the Fender Offset Hollow Body Starcaster? Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, because they're not making that anymore, right? Did that go away? That was the, they were, the, they, they brought those in. Um, I thought they were cool. Uh, I thought it was an interesting idea. That's back when Larry was the president of, of Fender, who mm -hmm. was the president of Guitar Center, and they were trying to come up with lots of new, exciting products, and that was one of the things they brought back. And to be honest with you, I haven't looked in a while, but I imagine they're holding value because they stopped making them. They, they might still have them in the catalog. I don't know. Um, so I played a couple. They were cool. Um, you know, it, it's a cool hollow body. Hollow bodies, I have a love-hate, you know, depending on what time you ask me during the year, I could hate or love a hollow body. I have a bunch, and sometimes I play them, and sometimes I'm just like, ah, oh, they don't sound right. So, and only hollow bodies do that to me. Every other guitar I'm, I'm fine with, but hollow bodies, I, I'm either in hollow body mode, playing nothing but hollow bodies, or I, I'm, I'm mad at them. So... So let's see. 
DC Walker says the the Bagera 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 <laughs> sounds far better than the Mesa triple rectifier. Uh, Ryan Bruce does a uh, Bagera triple rec versus Mesa dual rectifier. The tri rec eats the Mesa alive. It's, it's possible. I th I've said this before. Being a Mesa fan, uh, Mesas are. Um, Love hate, you know. Sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're not. When it comes to the time of day and how loud, and so, Justin says thoughts, experience with the Fender TBX Tone Pot. I just installed one in my USA Strat. I like it better than the regular Tone Pot. You know, the TBX um, uh, is 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 a really cool Tone Pot. If you guys aren't familiar with it, it's uh, it was most famous, I think, because Eric Clapton put it in his model of Strat. And the TBX is a tone uh, pot that will go, it takes you from bass to back to center and then forward to highs, right? Um, so the uh, it's really cool. Um, and it's passive, right? I mean, it's been a year or so since I've installed one. It's not a real common thing. I know I have a couple of them downstairs in my in my shop, in my mm -hmm. bins. But um, what do I think of it? I think it was cool. Um, you know, it's... I never installed one in one of my personal strats. I always just did it for customers, and I, I you know, I never thought about it. So um, every once in a while, I thought back then, I thought, you know, I should probably do it. But I'm kind of simple when it comes to tone stack, you know, and tone pots. I, I just kind of run everything very simple. Uh, I cock my tone knob just a hair back, you know, just a quarter of a turn back, and and find that sweet spot every time. But um, but they are cool. My 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 tones always turn to ten. Yeah. Except for my Strat, which I actually just wired it to and, one volume, and, and I didn't get rid of the tone. Got rid of the tone. <laughs> the did you you never done one of the TBXs, right? Because you, you don't. I don't think so. Yeah, because Ralph doesn't. I do more electrical work than Ralph does. He does some electrical work, but I do a lot, a lot of it. Um, and you know what it is? I think I think that's part of like a kind of like a mechanic doesn't like to work on cars when he gets home. Mm -hmm. Electronics. I become real keep it simple with electronics because I work on them so much that after a while you just go, ah, I don't want to think about it. So you think I would deck out my, some of my guitars? Although my main strat is pretty decked out with how it's electrically right, wired hold up. Hold on, Lawrence chipped in. Okay, what do you say? Go down. He's, he's the next comment down. Okay. So essentially a standard tone pot with a descent at noon. Uh, de de descent at noon. You mean detent at noon? Like, yeah, it clicks in. It's a it's an essentially a standard tone pot with a detent at noon. No, I don't think you're right, Lawrence. I shouldn't really question Lawrence, but <laughs> uh, no, it it definitely the TBX circuit definitely pushes. Like I said, it well, it's not pushing anything because it's not active. It's re it removes. It's basically. You know what? The best way to probably think of, think of it this way, Lawrence. I'm pretty sure it's a just like a tone pod. It removes high frequency one direction, then goes to dinner, the the center detent spot, and then I think it removes low frequency because it it, it definitely has a part where it's it's. So I have to. I'll have to Lawrence said yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm like I'm like I know it's been a like I said it's been a little while, but I've installed a ton of them. This is the only way we're gonna argue with Lawrence is over the internet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I usually don't want to... Okay, uh, uh, let's see. Um, you guys have some cool questions today. I appreciate that. And it's fun. This is the best thing to do is just talk gear. It's like talking sports, but better. Um, 
Oh, Frank's talking about Eric Johnson and his semi-hollow Fender Strat. Yeah, he says, uh, 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 Eric Johnson's loving his Fender semi-hollow Strat, and he said he's using it almost exclusively these days. Have you ever tried one? If so, what'd you think of it? Yeah, you know, I, I believe it or not, I owned a semi-hollow Strat by Cole Clark. Remember Cole Clark? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I had a Cole Clark semi-hollow Strat for a short time, and uh, I really liked it. Uh, it, uh, it was really cool, and it was super light, and that's why I got rid of it. It was so light that it just started making me feel like every time I picked up a normal guitar, it just felt... It was weird. I mean, it was like four and a half, five pounds. It was like air. Yeah, it was It was weird because it, it felt so light, it felt fake. Yeah, it felt fake. Um, so so that was in that one particular guitar, and that's the answer. So, in, uh, But it was Cole Clark was brand. It's an Australian company. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would imagine it's a cool idea. I mean, they have semi-hollow tellies for, forever, so a semi-hollow Strat just seems to make sense. Um, you know, and right now I'm playing... Um, my semi-hollow, my semi-hollow reclaimed, um, and I think semi-hollow guitars tend to pronounce the mids more. Something happens with the way the string moves that the pickups can hear. The string just produces more mid frequency. That's it's basically how I feel. Um, so it, it's nice because it gives you bigger notes, but it also makes your chords kind of sound a little nasal, mm -hmm. which is why I have a love-hate relationship with semi-hollow guitars. Sometimes I'm in the mood for that sound and sometimes I'm not. Um, Shannon McCoy says, what happened to dial tone pickups? They just disappeared, but I can't find any info about them. You know, I didn't know they disappeared. Why is it, uh, why or if they'll come back? You know, um, Shannon, the truth is a lot of companies are kind of disappearing uh, right now. Um, there's been, there's, there's, this is a giant reset button for the industry. The, the, the new world of internet stuff. In fact, I'm pretty sure my understanding is I just heard that Seymour Duncan, who was selling direct to customers on their websites, I was going to stop doing that and just go back to dealers again because they were having issues with the company that was providing the shopping cart So uh, for their website. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things like that. A lot of companies disappear just because, you know, it's so. Um, drawing with uh, Micah uh, says... Uh, have you tried the JHS Boss Angry Driver? I didn't get a chance yet. You know, I was um, going to check it out this week and go see if I can find one, but I haven't checked it out yet. It's like everything. I'm afraid to like it. It's just another thing I have to add to the wish list. Um, but uh, I, like I said, I, we talked about last week. I thought it's an interesting idea. So... Uh, Jamie wants to know, why was the Squire Protone discontinued? You know, Fender is really an oddball company. Um, they will discontinue product all the time, and and it's not because it's not selling well. It's just because everything has to be epic with them. They are, they are as a company, almost unique in the idea of, like, Apple computers. Like, if it's not rocking, if it's not selling... If it's not the, the number one thing yeah, that people want... They kill it. They are notorious for that. Um... So, so that's you know that's what happens in the in the Squire line, and then also too one of the things that happens with companies, especially of that size, the product managers are only given so many SKUs. They have a budget to produce so much product, and they have to have the product. You don't want to be in a situation where the dealers are calling to order product and they don't have it. So a lot of times they have to make decisions, um, you know, uh, you know, like hey, we're only allowed fifty SKUs, so we want to add ten SKUs this year, which means ten SKUs have to go away. So, you know, they get rid of something just because they want to add something new. And a lot of times overseas, another problem is the factories don't deliver. That is really uh, a very consistent, every brand is dealing with that and they deal with that every day. 
there are there are tons of stuff when it comes to overseas. The Chinese factories do not uh, do not fulfill agreements all the time, all the time. Um, we would constantly have delivery issues as as dealers. You would wait and wait and wait, and then finally the company would say, "Yeah, the the factory never shipped." Um, one year, I want to say I can't remember the year. Maybe you'll help do better if you remember when I tell you the story. One year, we couldn't get um, banjos for the entire summer, for three four months, no banjos, not a single one. And here's what's interesting about that: there is like one factory that makes all the banjos that are o over in China. Okay, right? So in China, there's like one factory that does all of the banjos. And like one factory that makes ukuleles. Yeah, it's so it's it's weird. It's not like there's, I mean, it, normally in guitars and stuff, there's tons of factories in China. But in China, I think there's only one banjo factory. And it was because there was a few, but when that movie came out, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm -hmm. It was a huge surge in banjo sales because of the movie. And so a bunch of companies got into the banjo market and then it just died. And when it died, there was so much, there was such a huge volume and then drop that a company companies you know you know shut down doing banjos they didn't want to deal with anymore and the factory that was the one factory that was doing banjos burnt down now here's why i tell you the story the reason i know that happened was we, were, we couldn't get our delivery of banjos from fender and then all of a sudden washburn's like oh we can't fulfill the banjo delivery and then all of a sudden it was Bree or not Bree love what was the other company it was like it was uh it was another co company that we deal with oh it was dean and then there, and there was another company and there was another company all of a sudden we're like what? And then we start calling around, like Johnson, you know, right? The yeah. smaller companies. And they're like, yeah, we don't have any. We didn't get our delivery yet. And none of the companies were saying anything. All of a sudden, it was just like... And so I was sitting there going, I guess everybody's selling a lot of banjos? And then... <laughs> so um, so I asked around, and then finally somebody who knew said, oh, no, what happened was the factory that made it burned down, so it's going to take a, a couple months to retool a different place. And so um, that it kills a line, too, sometimes, is that just the factory that's making it. Um, we had that also problem in 2009 when the recession hit. A lot of stuff start stopped showing up because a lot of factories stopped making musical instruments and started making furniture. Yeah, I remember that was a big thing. It was a big deal. They stopped making because they weren't selling, so they were like, "Ah, oh, screw it, we'll just make furniture." So, and they didn't say anything. So, manufacturers were waiting for an order of like you know four thousand guitars. All of a sudden, when those are then in common. Who was it? I remember someone came to us and like, "Yeah, like we don't have any guitars. What happened? Like, they're making making furniture right now because that's that's selling." Yeah. So uh, that stuff happens, and there's nothing they can do to enforce the contracts because that's what we learned. We're like, well, what do you do? And they're like, nothing. The yeah. factory doesn't care, and there's nothing to enforce. So it's like find another factory. Find another factory. That's what they got to do. So the okay. So next question is okay. Um. Hello, Deering. <laughs> they uh, like Deering banjos. Okay. Okay. Uh, so here's another one. I can't answer the question, but I'll at least give it a shot. Uh, Levy saying, "Hey, uh, thoughts on Michael Kelly guitars? Um, they're they're cool. I've tried them. I've worked on a bunch. They have really cool features. They're they're essentially to me they're like Schecter and and LTD." And and um, you know Diamond and a lot of companies where they make good quality stuff and I've I've seen the majority of it seems really cool. I just never owned one myself. I don't know what it is. Anything stick out to you about the brand? I just I, I don't think they stick out enough from from the Schecter. Yeah. Or from the LTD that I can go. Yeah. Well, I like like even LTD. I've never owned an LTD because it didn't stick out far enough from an Ibanez or Schecter yeah. to me. And those are the two in that price point for me that I go. Well, these are the top guys. What can you do that's better than them? Or what can you do that's different? 
Yeah, it really comes down to the you can't own everything logic. So it's just a brand that I, I just never personally owned anything from it for no particular reason other than I've owned other stuff that I felt, you know, I, I could say, so you know, and so to, very, very clear, I'd say the same thing about G&L that I've said about Michael Kelly. Um, uh, it's a great brand, great reputation. Everything looks right. Everything mm -hmm. I've touched feels right. But I have fenders, so I just never thought to go buy one or try one. Um, so maybe I need to because, you know, I look at G&L co constantly going, well, you know, maybe I should look at that product as well, yeah. too. And again, the problem with G&L is, is it beat my fender. Yeah, and, and more importantly, sadly enough, you know, uh, which we talked about this in the past, there's nowhere to try them. You know? Yes. That's the big problem is a lot of stuff out there, but, you know, where can I put my hands on it? Yeah. Where can I play it? So. Yeah. So. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, so it appeals to you because they have a radius and pickup options. You know, like I said, yeah. the good news is, is Levy, is I can tell you this. I've never had a bad experience with Melico Kelly working on them. I, I've, I've worked on them maybe a dozen over the years, and, um, and and I've had friends that had them, and they're happy with them. Like I said, and they look cool. So everything seems right. I yeah. just never never yeah, found yeah, I mean, them if, if it fits you, that's what's the important thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um Oh, okay. Uh, Kristen is saying uh, she owns a Michael Kelly uh, Enlightened, and it's great. Six in pounds. Six pounds. Sounds great. Doesn't aggravate my arthritis in, in the neck. Awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they look cool. I mean, they have look they have look cool, and they sound great, so it's so it sounds good. Okay. Um, uh, I think it's really. says, Marty Freeman PRS, guitar, thoughts? He's not with them anymore, right? He's with Jackson now. Yeah, he went to Jackson because he, he, back in the 90s, it was Jackson, left that one to Ibanez, had that weird Ibanez one. Then he went to PRS. Yep. Now he's back at Jackson with that weird single cut, which we saw at NAM. Yep. And I was really disappointed on. Oh, you didn't like it? No. It was, it has this super thick baseball neck. Oh, it reminds me right. of the um, the Paul Gilbert uh, Fireman. That's the Jackson we're talking about. So yeah, you know, that's the Jackson. Yeah. A, I, right. It was, it was. Thick, thick, and that guitar was heavy. Both the Jackson, uh, yeah, it was heavy. US made yep. and the import, and the import, both were ridiculously heavy. Because yeah. I always loved the Kelly models, yeah. so I was like, oh, yeah, this is gonna be great. You know, it's got a cool shape. It's gonna have this super cool neck on it. No, yeah, the the PRS one was pretty cool. The um, for a fun note, if you ever get bored, look up when he was with Ibanez. A lot of people don't know he was with Ibanez for a while because they didn't have a lot of them in the U.S. It has no knobs. Remember, has no knobs, has like no knobs, no no knobs, and no switch. I think it was on off. Yeah, yeah, it had on off switch. Because even it. his uh, his USA Kelly model back in the day was one pickup. Yep, one pickup, one, one pick volume, up, one on off switch. That's it. So, uh, so there you go. Um, Salvador says, I recently discovered a little Thunder pickup. Uh, have you seen, heard of them? It's a neat idea, but they aren't really uh, many good reviews on them. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Mary Spender did a, a review of it. It's uh, it's a pickup that creates the bass note as well as the guitar note, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I checked them out. I thought they were at the NAMM show. can't remember if they were this year or last year, but I've definitely seen the product. Um, seems cool. To me, it's, an, it's, an, it's a niche thing, you know, right? Yeah. It's, uh, so it's not that it's not good or bad. It's just like a, I just need to have a reason for needing that. Um, and installing it in a guitar and saying, okay, this guitar is going to have that feature. So that's basically all, all the issue. Um, but other than that, it seems really cool. But I know Mary Spender did a review of it. I'm, I'm very sure of it. 
because I think that's where I saw saw it first. Um, and then Matt O'Neill O'Neil says, experience with Jet City Amps. And Matt, we already kind of talked about that earlier, but um, Jet City Amps, I've had great experiences with. I think they're definitely, of all the inexpensive line amplifiers uh, in the new year, in the recent years, like Eggnator and uh, Blackstar and all that stuff, I, I think Jet City has been one of my favorites uh, for quality and, and, and just the way they, they feel and sound when they when you hear the, the tone. They, they kind of feel tuby to me, less solid state with tube push, you know, or mix, mm -hmm. they, they seem more legit. Very, very cool product for sure. Oh, somebody's agreeing with you, Ralph. Oh, the, yeah, I mean. That the uh, that the Jackson was a monster guitar. Yeah, I love those those Kelly models. And when we, you know, we were a Jackson dealer, every time we got U.S. models in, I was like, I need one of these. <laughs> that so, and Blue Voodoo. So two questions. First, David says, are vintage fenders better? Um... Well, you know, <laughs> depends. Yeah, I, you know, I can say I know. I, I not to me, to to somebody, yes. To me, no. Um, you know, I I I could tell you. I'll, I'll tell you this, and maybe this will help you. So, working on as many vintage guitars, and I've owned a few. Okay, so I've owned a few, um, but I've I've worked on a ton of them, and here's what I learned working on a ton of vintage guitars over the years. There are a lot of really good ones they're just magical they just have something you know it's maybe the age maybe being played for years maybe it was the you know just everything was right the day it was built i don't know but there's something great about them what i learned is those always came with the same person in for repair they've had it forever they're never letting it go yeah they bought it back oh no from the store back in 62 so i have a theory when it comes to vintage guitars and and this is the theory that's helped me stay away from them I think that a few of vintage guitars are amazing. And the players that have them, unless they get in serious financial problems, keep them. And then a lot of vintage guitars are turds. And those constantly get resold. They get sold. So I think a lot of times when you see a vintage guitar, um, you see it get sold, and then that guy, he, he does everything. He takes it to his local luthier tech, and that guy does everything. He can't do it, and then he, he messes with it, and then he finally he sells it off, and then another person does the same thing. And they just keep churning and churning and churning because they can't figure out why it's not great when a vintage guitar is supposed to be great. And the truth is, vintage guitars are no different than any other guitars. Some are great. Some are not. It's it's from a, thou it's a thousand reasons and variables that, are ha that happen. And generally speaking... Uh, I, I think that a lot of times playing the magic ones drives that price point up of all of them because they're and most of the price point on vintage guitars is really driven by availability uh, 59 Les Pauls are expensive because they're not available yeah I mean that, that that happens with anything once you can't have something then it's a finite resource once you turn anything into a finite resource the value is going to go up because well, I, I think we all because we've heard for so long like you know that the, there was these magical area of guitars yep. and if I get one I'm yep. gonna get toned I'm yeah. gonna be so much better yeah and the truth is it's just a guitar it's yeah I I what I have to say about all that is never any good to anybody which is it's luck of the draw and I mean luck of the draw by finding it any guitar new guitars old guitars most of the guitars I have uh, you know that I've kept is because I found it. It's great. I kept hold on to it. When people see a guitar coming in and out of my collection fast, it's because I got <laughs> it and it's it's a good guitar. It's just not you know it's not it's not connecting with me in a special way. So it's not you know it doesn't feel great. And it takes you a while so you know to come to that realization. You know 
It's not an easy thing because it's not a guitar is defective. It's not it won't stay in tune. Just sometimes it's just you know, it doesn't feel exactly like you hoped or whatever. So, so there you go. So a lot of hype in vintage guitars is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so with that in mind, you have to buyer beware. Um, so. Uh, Sonic Sega says, are Behringer products bad? Question mark. I've had bad experiences with amps and pedals. Uh, anyone else? And that's what we talked about earlier. Yeah, they're not bad. It's just they're inexpensive. And inexpensive products, uh, sometimes, you know, you get what you pay for. So, um, and, and, and in that regard, where I was my pet, pet peeve is, is sometimes expensive stuff breaks. Yeah. I've had that experience as well. So it's not that they're bad. They're inexpensive products. And so you, you can't... Um, you can't expect pro results from product that isn't built for professional use. So, um, should it break on you? No, but is it you know is it more logical to think that a product that's price point friendly, that's directly built to hit a price point, is going to have components that are subpar? Yeah, because yeah. they got to cut costs somewhere. Got to come. Yeah. And and I've known guys that have gigged with with the Behringer stuff, never had a problem with it over years. And then again, you, you'll see that one guy took it two gigs, and all of a sudden. It's cutting out on them, so. Yes. Okay, and we'll do this last question right here. It's, and it is. Okay, Slacker wins. He's getting the question, if I can open it. Where's it at? Speaking of a Les Paul Gibson or Heritage. Oh, good question, uh, Slacker. Um, you know, I've said this before, so I, I kind of don't want to beat all these, you know, the same questions over and over again. But this one's an important one, I think. Uh, I, I really like the heritage guitars I've touched. In fact, I, I'm really excited about them. But here's my here's my thing, and 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 so if you notice that I have some Gibsons and I've tried some heritage and I haven't bought heritage, the reason is is because I feel like heritage and GNL have something in common with me which is I think they make a better average product. I think if you were to take 20 Heritages and 20 Gibsons and hold them on the merit of quality, I think Heritage could win. And I think if you took 20 uh, GNLs and 20 Fenders, American Fenders, and put them on comparison for quality on average, I think GNL would win. And kind of like what we talked about earlier about making sure you know, you're finding the right guitar, what I find very comforting about Gibsons and Fenders to me is that when I buy one, even if I just buy one online, try it online, buy it, get it here, try it, you know, it's great. Like this red Strat, I'm, I'm in, I, I told Ralph, I'm in, I'm in not love, love with it, right? Yeah. I, I like it. I don't know if I'm keeping it. Um, I, it, I think it I'm was your fix on the red Strat. Yeah, you I wanted a red, red Strat. Strat. This is the one they make and it has a rosewood neck. But the point is this, um, I know what this guitar is worth when I sell it. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, this wasn't a scary proposition. You buy it for 1100 bucks. That's what I paid for it. When I sell it, I'm going to get 11 or 12 right? And so if I get 12 I'll basically get my money back because you got to sell it for a little bit more than you bought it after fees to get your money back. But even if I lost 100 bucks, it's not ideal, but it, it, you know, it, it wasn't a scary proposition. To me, GNL and Heritage, if I buy wrong, you know, if I buy one and I don't love it, and I sell it. The resale is horrible. You're so I got so to take that hit. Because that's what Gibson and Fender bring to the table. They bring brand recognition, yeah. brand value. Um, so, so, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think Kia doesn't have a, a strong a strong resale record as probably Ford, right, and Chevy. So, so I would expect, or Honda, you know, that's probably more fair, right? Yeah. Kia is... Kia to Honda, yeah. Kia to Toyota. Yeah, Kia to Honda and Toyota, to, right, brand value. So, um, I, me, I, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I really am interested in Heritage. Um, there's no local dealers. There's no one to try one. Everything seems to be, if I just buy one and hope it works out, it's been very scary for me. 
Um, so on that note, I'm going to tell you to do what I've been doing, which is to buy Gibson. But I really do think Heritage deep down. I, I'm hoping one day I just find this Heritage. You know, the sad thing is I found one at the NAMM show, at the summer NAMM show. It was at the booth. And there was one, and I was like, you know what? This is it. And and they were like, it's not for sale. <laughs> and I would have bought it right then. And that, and I would have had In fact, I can tell you right now, if they would have sold to me, I would have bought it. And I would have sold my two Gibsons and been done and happy. Um, and they, what they said was, they were like, well, come to the factory and we'll make you one. And I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to try something I don't know. So yeah. that's... I just don't like the, the headstocks on the Heritage. Well... Like, it's like the GNLs too. That that headstock kills me. That is the part that we can't talk about, right? We can't talk about that, but it's the truth. GNL and Heritage have horrible, ugly headstocks, and that's what kills the resale value. And and because because the Gibson headstock and the Fender headstock are iconic. Yes, they're iconic. Um, you know, and, and it's like they went almost there. Then I went, yep. eh, close enough. And it's dumb and it's silly and but it, it is, it's the truth, which is. I think, like I said, there's no question. I think even people who are diehard Fender and Gibson fans, no one I think disparages that GNL and Heritage make good products. Yeah. Um, it's just you know there's some there's some legacy <laughs> behind the Gibsons and the Fenders. So yeah, so that's what it is. And I agree the the Heritage headstock, just like GNL headstock, I, I'm okay with it. I don't have a problem with it. I think they look fine. But um, I know that's what kills the resale. Is that people just don't like those headstocks? And and if you anyone wants to argue with that, it's fine. Put that in the comments. But I can tell you right now, when you go online and watch reviews of those products, read the amount of comments about the headstocks being ugly. There are just thousands. And although that doesn't have to affect how I feel about a product, it does affect how the resale value yeah. affects how I sell. And and so I look online. I look online at used heritage and, and GNLs uh, pretty much weekly to see if I can find that deal. Um, so so there you go. Um, like I said, I regret not buying the Heritage, or not not buying. I wish they would have sold to me. I regret, you know, trying not, not to be able to buy it. Yeah, I, I think I probably should have worked them harder too um, for it uh, to sell it to me, and um, that's okay. You know what happens. So there you go. All right, that was a fun Saturday of questions. I appreciate you guys hanging out. I appreciate Ralph. Yeah, yeah and you're going to Germany next week. I'm going to Germany next week. Uh, there will be a QA next Friday, but it will be recorded one. Uh, it's going to be all of your guys' questions. They've been sending into the Ask Know Your Gear page, uh, and it will be a 30 or one hour, thirty minute to one hour video of all those questions. So it will move a little faster and smoother than the live uh, show. I like the live show because it keeps me on my toes, and you, you can't. I can't predict what you're going to ask me. <laughs> so I think that makes it a little a little kind of fun because I can pick and choose the online questions, you know, what's easy. Um, so there you go. And again, if it's a weird question, like, oh, let me double check this. Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, yeah. And and plus it's kind of a way to interact with everybody, which is which is cool. So, And then announcements. I want to thank everybody. Uh, if you guys saw the, 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 uh, the thumbnail, thank everybody on Patreon for supporting the live show. That's basically what I'm doing now is I'm using those funds to to fund all this stuff and all this time and, and, and everything. And, and like I said, we'll be exciting stuff about GitCon. GitCon will have live shows. Um, that's why I'm not going to do a live broadcast on Friday because I'm pretty sure I'm going to do at least one, if not two, live broadcasts from GitCon. And then GitCon has live broadcasts. So that's the end of all those announcements. So anything to say before we go? No, it's just... I'm not going to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to watch you talk about guitars. This is true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, Time, well, let me be honest here. Time zones will be different. So, But if you're awake at 5 o'clock in the morning, there you go. You're all set. Yes. All right, guys. As always, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. And know your gear.